This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. My name is Thomas Cordrell. I am joined, as always, by Cerise Howard, Alexandra, Helen, Nicholas and Emma Westwood. Good evening to you all. Hello, Thomas. Good evening. Hello, all. Hello, everyone. A big thank you. Yeah, there's no point in just thanking me. No, I know. Hi, everyone. Hi, Alex. Now, tonight, we're going to take a look at Silence. This is the new film by Martin Scorsese. We're also going to be discussing Hidden Figures, a drama about the African-American women who contributed to the space race in the 1960s. But first... Tony Erdmann is a German and Austrian co-production that was one of the big hits of the Cannes Film Festival when it premiered last year. It also topped many of the international best films of 2016 lists. It's the third feature film written and directed by German filmmaker Maren Ade, who is also known for her work as a producer. Tony Erdmann is a drama comedy about an older man, Winfried, uh, and his attempts to reconnect with his adult daughter, Ines. Uh, He does this by disrupting her busy and corporate life with various pranks and gags. He follows her on an important business trip to Bucharest in Romania, where she finds his behaviour equal parts infuriating, hilarious and endearing. And I have not been able to describe this film to anybody without making it sound terrible. Even listening to myself read that now, that sounds like a really (laughs) tedious film. And yet it is one of the most unexpected delights I've had in a cinema in the past six months. What did the rest of you make of Tony Erdman? Oh, more than six months, surely, Thomas. I think this is um, it's a real one-of-a-kind film. I haven't seen her earlier work. No, no, this is, no. Well, I have seen some of the films she co-produced, Miguel right. Gomez's films, the, ah. the Portuguese oh, really? filmmaker. Yeah. Oh, there's some gravitas right there. She's got a very interesting mm. background, yeah. Yeah. But uh, so I came at this only knowing of uh, how rapturously it's been received elsewhere, but with no real sense of or the sensibility that this film would have. And even now it's quite difficult to pinpoint exactly what that is because for all that people are saying that this is a very hilarious comedy, it is, but there's nothing forced at all about the comedy in this sort of father-daughter narrative uh, that... It, it just It's a slow burn with occasional bursts of hilarity that are, are entirely believable, if still a bit daft at times, as um, this... this older man with clearly a bit of time on his hands tries to educate his daughter who's um, very corporate minded just just how to have a good time again and try to get her priorities straight he even threatens quite early on in the film to get a substitute daughter which is a particularly <laughs> cruel throwaway jibe but it it really resonates actually because she's she's kind of lost to him and she you get a sense she is lost to herself but at the same time she's working within a system a, um, a capitalist System. She's a, you know, trying to get ahead in life and trying to get ahead in a, a business. And as as any women out there will know, that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do just based on her gender alone. So both of these characters are hugely sympathetic. And yet, I, you know, you can't help but sort of side with Winfried, I think, a little more, especially as, well, his pranks are a lot more fun than... Actually, no, they're not entirely more fun than her... Um, uh, struggling to uh, respond to them in a, in a way that doesn't embarrass her hugely, and yet this still isn't isn't forced. It's not easy laughs or obvious laughs, but they're they're big laughs nonetheless. I think a lot of them rely on what for me is 
a lot of tragedy in this film too. Not even not in that kind of hand on the forehead, weepy tragedy, but there's just some real little downers mm. that just seem to on, on a almost mechanical level. The 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 lols and these really darker moments they just seem to work in such perfect unison. And I totally agree with you, Thomas, that there's nothing on the packet of this film that says crazy successful indie blockbuster. You know what mm. I mean? Like it, but it it's it's just adorable it, it, there's something so fundamentally human to the failures in this film it could have been such a patronizing film because it is about this older father figure who's sort of an aging hippie from the counterculture we presume by the way he lives and behaves trying to help his daughter to keep it real it could have been so paternalistic uh and chauvinistic but um but he, we still see at the start he that's his thing he disrupts people's lives with absurdity and humor and we see often it makes people crack a smile and even in the first sequence when he's <laughs> he's just messing with a courier there's a moment where the courier <laughs> realizes what's going on and his smile is, is really lovely and you realize okay this guy knows how to really play with people in a way that they enjoy and his daughter often does kind of crack a smile at his antics and sort of go along with some of them but yeah there, there are also moments in this film which are extraordinarily moving there's one scene where they're at a nightclub and she's just observing her father and suddenly realizing he's out of his depth in this scene and and the reaction that you see come across her broke my heart I mean, the, the film isn't just a series of gags. It is a really lovely film about this father-daughter relationship. Two people who obviously care about each other but have drifted apart. Mm, yeah, I think I, it took me a while to work out what I was watching, to be totally honest. <laughs> I sat there for the first 10 minutes thinking, huh, what's going on? What's going on here? But the film, um, it, it, it has a way of I think you kind of melt into it. You just don't realise that all of a sudden it's like a sponge that just sort of draws you in. And um, it, it, it's not a film that it, it draws attention to itself in terms of its filmmaking. You don't really, like I didn't feel that, feel that I was sitting there going, wow, that's a great Dutch tilt or da 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 you just literally melt into the story and find yourself floating along with this story um it is it is very long so it is a lot to we it, it, the pitch doesn't sound great so it is literally a film where we have to say trust us and just <laughs> go and see it and i think that's been that's kind of the word that's out there about it just trust what's being said and go and see it it's definitely a film yeah. that earns its ending too i don't want to yeah. I, I think if uh, almost like your introduction thomas i think if you were to explain what happens in the the climactic scene and the, the events that happen in a park after it if you were to ex- describe it to somebody who hadn't seen the film they would probably slap you walk away I don't know (laughs) we could come up with a list of possibilities but nothing about it screams what it is which is just one of the most moving and beautiful ends of a film that I saw last year like a lot of red herrings in it as well I think that there were some uh obvious red herrings that would play to an audience that's been brought up on Hollywood films where you think, okay, this is what's going to happen in the end. Yes. And they know, well, she knows, um, uh, Marin Arde knows that uh, this is the way certain people would be reading it. So I think that's really clever. There's a couple of spots that she and does And also that. a very good fart joke. Yeah. I think that's worth flagging as well. Oh, and and really quality yeah. fart joke. Fart yeah. cushions. I mean, yeah, really. Farts, farts get a, really, a lot of love in this film. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, there's, there's new jokes. I mean... Yeah, the, 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 Rubber teeth. The, 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 the very kind of moving sequence towards the end comes right after one of the funniest things I've ever seen in film. Oh, that's, I mean, yeah, hilarious. And it's, it's so naturalistically portrayed, but it is an absolute work of art in terms of comic timing and building the gag 
further and further, higher than you possibly can imagine they're going to go. Like, it was sort of... I think I was actually clutching my sides laughing. When yeah. I, I've seen this film twice. The first time I was extraordinarily tired and actually dozed off during bits. <laughs> so, but, so the second time it was great to see all the bits I missed, <laughs> but re-watch sequences like that and still have convulsions of laughter. But, but play on the aspects of that, uh, that going... Basically, that scene hinges on um, not being able to do up the zipper on the back of your dress. And I think every single woman knows what that experience is like. And it was kind of like a breakdown moment and I could I could imagine that being a breakdown moment. I think I've had one myself actually. <laughs> the actress in this film, I'm sorry I've forgotten her She's name. She's great. Sandra Hula. She puts yeah. in a really great performance because you don't almost don't realise she's putting in a really great performance. She's mm. so held back. She's so restrained. She's she's the old-fashioned straight man. Can you even use that phrase anymore? I don't even know. <laughs> I think so. I think but she's like... She's you know, the he's foil. The, yeah, she's that, the yeah. foil. Yeah. That's much nicer. But there's... Um, nicer. Yes. She, she's got comic chops. Let's yeah. go for all these old... There's and, a scene with yeah. Whitney Houston... Oh that my is goodness. Just, just yes. see this movie for the Whitney Houston scene. It is, um, it is the greatest love of all watching that <laughs> scene. And, I have, it, it happened to me. It escalates. They just, yeah. they just keep building that moment to, yeah. till it gets more and more ridiculous and funny. But she just plays it. She's so uh, unselfconscious in front of the camera. Like she can let that camera linger on her when she's just looking. I don't know, into space for so long. And, and that is really a skill to be able to sit there and, and be so comfortable with the camera in that way. She um, also appears in the most extraordinary anti-sex scene I've, I've oh, seen that's, in a film. <laughs> yeah. that's Everybody's incredible. clutching their heads. Um, <laughs> it's just... Yes, yes. Which, I mean, it I'll, is an anti-sex yeah. scene. That's the perfect description. Because, yeah. The least sensual, the least erotic. <laughs> and they go through all the motions of trying to, being, to, try to be a bit porny and sort of... <laughs> But it's just so... <laughs> Not those things. It's so kind of wrong and funny. And, I mean, it's there to indicate how detached she is from sensuality and, and, and enjoying anything in life. Like, it's such a detached, a detached sequence. And, <laughs> and, you know, the body bodily fluids are not held back. Um, but, again, it's just really painfully... It's really painfully funny to watch. I think I, it, it, oh, you so go, no, Alex. You, you no, go. you go first, because I'm going to steer this slightly somewhere else. Well, I, I was, you, you steer, and then I shall steer. Well, I was just going to say that all of this absurdist humour that, that develops quite organically within the film it, it a lot of this actually occurs in a, a, a city in a country that is almost a byword in the west for absurdity and that we're talking about the romanian city of bucharest it's yeah. almost just a joke that bucharest is um it's just expected that uh it's an absurdistan it's a, a, a post-communist state that's still struggling to get on its feet and there's a lot in this film that is a, a critique of capitalist exploitation of just such places which uh, the West looks upon with contempt and and ripe for exploitation, and so there, there is actually I think a very another very serious core to this film, still played for comedy, but not at the expense of Romania. I, I shouldn't say it's um it's it's super smart. You've got the, so the father daughter stuff is very much to the forefront, but in the background, there really is a critique of the way that the West just takes for granted that the developing nations are just there um, to be plundered. And there's some really touching scenes in this, especially between a very humble man whose uh, lavatory is required in one scene, <laughs> uh, who a uh, lovely bit of father-daughter conflict about how each of them ought to relate to such a person. And it's a little microcosmic moment of 
uh, Western and Eastern relations. And it's really potent. And I found that as moving as anything else in this film too and as smart. That actually Mm. feeds into where I was going. And I don't know whether we want to dwell too long here, but this film to me is so specifically of its place. Mm. How do we feel not only about... Kristen Wiig and Jack Nicholson, oh, but yes. the moving of this film, the, the 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 very lots of noise at the moment about the US remake. I am curious to hear your thoughts. I'm pro <laughs> pro Wig. Like, I'm not anti Wig. I think the casting's good. I think you know, Kristen. Kristen, Kristen, Kristen Wiig? Kirsten? Kirsten Wiig. Oh, she's only one of my favourite living comedic yeah, performers. Uh, Kirsten Wiig and Jack Wick. Nicholson are playing the leads. Kirsten. And I think it's really well cast. I, I, I think there's potential to do a good remake if they properly relocate the issues to an American context. I think you can find a way of making this an American story. I get frustrated when remakes don't do that. Mm. They just put it in English. Yeah. So, so Bucharest is to Germany as where is to the US. I don't know, maybe, mm. yeah, or, or, or maybe, I don't know, these deplorable states, maybe it could look at the disenfranchised. Mm. I don't, these, I don't, yeah, these are issues that I was sort of thinking, you know, yeah, yeah I mean, America, I guess, you know. This capital, film would work in Trump's America, I think. Yeah, mm. and there's so much changing there at the moment. Yeah. It's such a volatile space in itself. It, it really opens up these really interesting I have a questions. It's not going to be that, though, Or are guys. they just going to defang it? I just feel I guess that. a lot of this depends on the director. I don't think the director's been announced yet. Is That's that true? I think we have we Pablo have a cast. Lorraine. Pablo Lorraine. He <laughs> <to> it. <laughs> it's always a worry, isn't it, when they go forward with the project without having a director attached. I've got to say, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very pro-Nicholson and I think it's an interesting choice, but part of me just would love to see Jerry Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> In this, I think it was the role he was born to play. Too old, though? Well, Bill Bill Murray was rumoured to be up for the role as well. The rumour I heard was Bill Murray just didn't answer his mail, didn't turn up when he was meant (laughs) to. But um, he he could have been interesting as well. I think Nicholson's good. I think, I mean, Murray for me is almost a little too knowing. Yeah, yeah. And there's something about the character... Tony Erdman that uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah Tony Erdman which is the persona the father the father adopts takes for say the last or well, the second half of the film yeah mm. the unlikely life coach persona <laughs> <laughs> With the, the amazing farty. wig and yeah. false teeth, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not big on remakes as a general rule, but I'm not necessarily anti them across the board. I think this will be an interesting one to watch. Perhaps heartbreaking. Who knows? Watch this space. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 R FM in Melbourne, Australia. Silence is the new film by the acclaimed director Martin Scorsese and written by Jay Cox, the third film he has written for Scorsese after Gangs of New York and the Age of Innocence. Having long, long been a passion project for Scorsese, Silence is an adaptation of the 1966 novel by Japanese author Shusaka Endo. Uh, and it's been adapted twice for the screen before. Prior to this film, there was a Japanese adaptation in 1971 and a, what I believe is a fairly loose Portuguese adaptation in 1996. This new version sticks very closely to the source material, which concerns two young Portuguese Jesuit priests in the 17th century played by Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver, travelling to Japan to find their mentor, who's played by Liam Neeson, after hearing the rumour that he has renounced his faith. Now, despite the initial success in spreading Christianity throughout Japan earlier that century, this is now an era where Christianity is outlawed and the feudal lords and samurais use oppression, torture and executions to drive the Christians out. So needless to say, the priests have a tough time once they arrive in Japan. Mm. It's always exciting when a new Scorsese film comes out. How do we feel about this one? 
Boy, howdy, am I anything but silent about this one. I have things <laughs> to say. <laughs> Monkey. Time to score, break Sozzy. up. Unlike God, you're going to break your silence. <laughs> are, you, yeah. are you guys cross at me for the silence thing or for saying, boy, howdy, I can't quite feel the vibe. <laughs> little from room. column A, little from column B. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I really have to say I don't remember um, being this into a Scorsese film on current release. There's not, I mean, obviously going back and watching stuff from the days of yore is kind of different, like rediscovering older films. But this is the one in the cinema that I have discovered that I quite comfortably am the most excited about. I think it's the most excited I've been, yeah, on a new release. Folks, Scorsese, wow. It just blew me away. I didn't expect to respond like that. When I first started watching this film, it instantly made me think about films uh, that quite big in in the 80s and 90s in particular, things like The Mission which was a really big film at the time and nobody really talks about it much anymore. I think that was a Roland Joffe film. Yeah, Bruce that also Beresford, Australian director. Beautiful. Yeah. And, um, Ennio Morricone yes. soundtrack. De Niro was in it. De Niro was yeah, in it. Also so Liam Neeson as well. Yeah. But those sort, of, those sort of films used to be a thing and it's like we don't see them anymore. I think perhaps, and watching Silence at the start, it's like we don't, we don't really think of Catholicism now in the same way that we used to. And I remembered watching it thinking, does this film, is it of the moment? You know, is it detached from our kind of contemporary vision of Christianity, or sorry, of Catholicism? He has, he has been working on this project since 1990 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and to so, start with, I felt that yeah. it was sort of, it was a film that we don't have anymore. It was sort of this throwback to this idea of, of Catholicism that is really no more, it just doesn't exist anymore. Think People really think differently about the Catholic Church. But as I kept watching the film, I started realising that, it was actually hugely contemporary that, mm. that some of the questions that are raised in this film probably around the third, uh, one third mark, it starts actually dealing with these issues. And where it went, once I had, had that clicking moment, mm. I was just thoroughly at home yeah, to yeah. This, this movie. It really had me sold. I thought the performances were just beautiful. Um, probably, the, again, the first time in, that I can remember that I was really blown away by Liam Neeson. Really just steals yeah. the show. Um, Adam Driver, I will pack a bong for Adam Driver. I really like Adam Adam Driver. I think they both have, um, him and Garfield both have those appropriately kind of odd monkish cartoon faces. They 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 worked very well in the context of the film. Um, it felt like, for me, it actually felt like Scorsese's Apocalypse Now. If you actually think about the, the storyline, it journey. sort of works. Yeah, it works like that as well. It's got a Heart of Darkness vibe, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, l- looking for this this mythical figure who's gone native as such. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, and the revelations that come from yep. uh, looking for that figure. But I, I did like how, um, uh, like you said, Alex, how it, it was very contemporary and how it really at the heart of it was about um, talking how we can all think we're talking about the same thing but be talking about something different and it's spelt out really, really nicely in this film. I think there was a point it had a natural end that it probably extended a little bit beyond but um, it certainly hits all the epic marks um, but with... uh, some subtlety to it as well. The, there's a lot of those shots where, you know, fall down on your knees and the camera sort of, you know, pulls back on the crane and, you know, sort of hands clasp the air. Um, but 
I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. I'm like you, Alex. I, I have. I wouldn't say it's probably the most excited I've been on a current release. I remember seeing Goodfellas at the time and just being so blown away. But um, I think I saw that one on video later. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. At the cinema, it was uh, my young, fertile mind was blown. Um, but this, yeah, definitely is one of the best Scorsese's for quite a while, I'd say. Yeah, I think it's a pretty gripping film and this is me speaking as an, a total heathen. I, I don't understand agonies of faith and that's really what this film is most centrally about. Um, I understand agony. Uh, I, I appreciate that Scorsese has not um, uh, restrained himself at all from showing actual brutality here, what the the Japanese do to these uh, Portuguese priests and to Japanese who've become Christians uh, is, is exceedingly brutal. And um, th- that to me is very familiar from Scorsese's oeuvre. We're used to seeing scenes of really horrific violence and often very sudden and precipitate. And we've certainly got that here, but we've also got some really protracted sequences. And I note that one of the ones that I actually found very affecting um, featured as the actor Shinya Tsukamoto, a, a Japanese filmmaker who knows an awful lot about body horror. We're talking about the guy who made the Tetsuo films. No way. <laughs> yes, that's no him. way. Yes, Snake that's him on June. the cross. Oh, my gosh. And, oh, was too. Oh, yes. During, during the, well, it wasn't a cross. It's the sea torture yeah. where they were exposed yeah. to the elements. But it, yes. looks, it looks like a crucifixion. Well, it very much yes. does. How yes. did I not know that? Mm. Yeah. And so... It yeah. is a very, it is a film of uncomfortable footwear and creative torture. Yeah, well, the, the, the torments. I think that's the tagline, ex- actually. Yeah. <laughs> the torments are extraordinary. And um, another filmmaker who's worked a lot in the horror uh, genre that I believe people here are quite acquainted with, <laughs> I was reminded of here as well, and that's Dario Argento and his film Opera, because there's an awful lot in this film about spectators and the relationship of violence. And so a lot of the agonies of faith here is the agonies of people being forced to watch horrific acts perpetrated upon others the difference being in this film that there's a lot at stake uh the you know the priests are being asked to intervene such that these other people may no longer be tormented but by intervene you know what's at stake is apostasy and uh renouncing their faith me i don't have struggle from agonies of faith i'd be getting in there straight away and saying look just stop (laughs) so i I can't relate to that central problem in a way but nonetheless the cast are all i want scorsese to do your biopic so badly (laughs) yeah but it's fascinating will you denounce god yes yeah Yeah. Yeah. we're good here yeah Yeah. Yeah, god who yeah let the people free (laughs) i i mean I'm the same. I, I have no investment in, in, in questions of faith or religion. I actually find it fascinating from an almost anthropological viewpoint. Mm-hmm. So I find this kind of stuff really intriguing. And I, I really have dug Scorsese's other faith-based films, you know, Last Temptation of yeah, Christ. Yeah, me too. And Kunden, I think, is hugely underrated. Um, but those are films with incredible passion that burn throughout. And Scorsese's remarkable use of subjectivity, which for me were missing in this film. So I'm going to be the odd one out to say I desperately wanted to love this film. I was watching it, trying to talk myself into loving it. Controversy. It, it, someone no, it's, it's, not, it's not that I disliked it. It's a fine, masterful yeah. film. I, I get that objectively. But it didn't quite have this impact on me. Possibly also because I've, I read the novel and finished it like the day before I saw the film. So... Oh. 
and the film is extraordinarily faithful to the novel except it does add on stuff at the end it's interesting when you said to me it felt like there was a natural ending and it went further it does go on a bit further than the source material Um, and the novel I hate comparing films and novels in this reductive way but the novel got into some real kind of analysis of Judas and Jesus and how the priests position themselves with that story of Judas's betrayal that is I did feel that strongly in the film though there was a lot of it was in there but um, I was too familiar with it when I had gone to see the film I just had that experience but but no I will stick to I I miss the the kind of passion I think Scorsese was too reverential to this material I think he was too respectful I I would like to have seen a little bit more Scorsese and, and, and less of the novel I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit I do actually really agree with your point there about it being about not having that passion and that subjectivity but for me I think if it did it wouldn't have it wouldn't have made such a poignant engagement with just how redundant the faith in question is today, mm. if that makes sense. I know I spoke mm. very slowly then. I'm trying to work this out, as no, I'm saying. And that's a good point. I think that if we were totally with these guys, it, it would be a little, um, at best, a little naive to assume that audiences would really get behind these noble Catholic priests. I'm just yeah. not sure whether that's really good marketing. Missionaries taking a religion yeah, into a country yeah, that doesn't yeah. want like, them. Yeah, yeah, I think that yeah. the film has to hold those characters at an arm's length just because of, I mean, you know, this is a year after Spotlight won the Oscar. Like, it's. I think you it know. could immediately have made that length a little, well, longer had uh, they have been speaking Portuguese. Yeah. <laughs> rather yeah. than English. But which is not a lingua franca anywhere at that point in time. But I think that that again is part of, um, I think maybe what I was sort of missing from this film is that it also felt dated to me. And so did the novel, where the issues being explored, I could see having a lot of power in the 60s, but I think now we've come way beyond this discussion of the crisis of faith. And the big revelation in the film about what they're going to do to make the priests uh, denounce God is a sort of technique that's used in every second kind of science fiction show or revenge theory. Like, it, like it's a very... Uh, I, I don't even know if saying it will spoil it, but, but, the, but you know, the, rather than martyring you or torturing you, we're going to do this instead, mm. is a technique that we've seen done to death in, in, in genre cinema. So it also, I think, suffered from just being innately out of date. Uh, See, I felt that to start with. There was a, there's a particular scene where one of the younger priests, the Andrew Garfield character, actually asks himself, like, at what point do we stop forgiving? Mm. And that was, when I, that was when I thought, okay, that's, that's now. Like that's a, that's actually yeah. a really really potent question for Catholics to be asking today. Yeah. I what, actually, I actually wanted. I think I wanted more giving? God. I think I wanted the film to convince <laughs> me to, to make me feel more Some like these guys. You are. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, but I think I wanted that vicarious thrill of the faith that these men obviously had. And, yeah, and the novel's written by a Christian Japanese man who struggled with these contradictory elements all his life. Um, mm. You know, his Christianity he saw as essentially at odds with being Japanese and that was part of his motivation for writing this very violent and, and, and brutal book. So, mm. yeah, I think I, I wanted to be converted. <laughs> I think Liam Neeson converted me. I'm a Liam Neeson sceptic. Oh, and I forget how good he is. Oh, he did a good film. Oh, I honestly great. forget that he yeah. Because I think what's those kidnappy movies those that he does? Taken. Films, yeah. Like that's who he is to me now is the Taken guy and I forget that he 
did these amazing films. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the acting yeah. is um, superb, and it was good to see he's, he's Garfield incredible. do a good film after the the schlocky Hacksaw Ridge. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of you know another religious director who goes to full mm-hmm. melodrama and yeah. schlock. That's Mel Gibson. So I'm always happier to be in Mel Gibson's camp. And Adam Driver. I wish Adam Driver was in the film more because his moments are electrifying. And his final scene in this film uh, was the one that had a big impact on me. But the uh, Japanese yeah. cast are wonderful yes. in this, and especially the character is he uh, Kishijiro or a mm, similar yeah. name. Yeah. This impish character who's always um, well, with his little buck teeth. He almost looked cute, like he wanted to to go. Oh, hello! And yeah. he's like you know this um, maniacal. Yeah, leader, I well, guess. He, well, well, he wasn't really. Yeah, but he, he, his crises of faith were a lot more interesting to me than the priests. Yeah, not least because he was grappling with, or well, he's already experienced terrible consequences personally on account of having a faith that he then uh, constantly had to struggle with. Just pragmatism, really. Mm. Whether when put on the spot to denounce it, only to still kind of keep it burning and then renounce it again a little later under often comical circumstances. I mean, it was a welcome injection of levity to this film. Yes. But, it, yes, it was certainly not nonetheless without um, uh, consequence and significance. So yeah. he's what made the film for me. I'm not sure what the actor's name is off the top of my head, but he was wonderful. I think a lot of what I got out of the film in terms of its, its kind of deeper meanings and the questions that it was raising, I think that they really lock into that character as well, that that, that question, at what point do we stop forgiving? Yeah, how, yeah. how bad do you have to be before a good Catholic says, you know what, hmm. you're a dick, like, enough. It's And I, I think that there's there's stuff going on there that's That uh, dynamic quite, between quite him and the Garfield character is, is great. Yeah. That's the best character work. And that's the kind of Judas Jesus stuff that comes up as well with the nature of forgiveness. And like you said, Cerise, the, the pragmatism, like, he, he's just just a civilian like he's not a priest who has all this training he's just somebody who needs to survive and um and i think the garfield character i can't remember the portuguese name sorry um so gradually has a kind of grudging respect for him realizing that this guy is just doing whatever it takes that that character i think he was that actor was in itchy the killer i think you're exactly Mm, right yes i believe uh Oh, I'm going to say his name wrong. Tadan Tadanasu. Oh, uh, 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 mm, yeah, I know. Do you know the actor yes, I'm yeah, talking about? He's in a lot of great stuff. Tadanobu Asano. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, yes. there you go. You said it beautifully. So yeah, he is quite an amazing actor. Anyway, just to yeah. dumb it down a bit, I also want to just give a shout out to Andrew Garfield's hair. Oh, he. The- it was Wonderful like a flitch. Fetch. It was yeah. incredible hair. <laughs> it was like full on like Farrah at seventies layered at points. I don't know what was going on. I'm actually whoever did the hair it does on go that film. Into it, few was, scenes, it, it was fully it's quite amazing. It was incredible. It was like Dukes of Hazard. I don't think that man's going to ever lose his hair, and I'm looking forward to him um, aging through his career and it becoming this sort of metallic wave. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that how ended it. well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we kept it real at the very end. Three. Triple. Hidden Figures is a US biographical film based on the non-fiction book of the same name by Margot Lee Shetterly. Uh, it's about some of the unsung heroes of the space race during the 1960s, specifically the African-American women who work for NASA as mathematicians, engineers and computer experts. The focus is on three of these women. Catherine G. Johnson, played by Taraji P. Henson, Dorothy Vaughan, played by Octavia Spencer, and Mary Jackson, played by Janelle Monet. Now, while working under extremely stressful conditions to help the Americans beat the Soviets in getting people into outer space, the women have to deal with all sorts of hurdles due to the 
the, discrimin- the, the, the discrimination they face both as women and people of colour. Kevin Costner and Kirsten Dunst are also among the film's co-stars. So this, I'll say from the outset, this is exactly the film I expected it to be. I, I think it's often what we talk about as a prestige picture or, or Oscar bait if we're going to be disparaging, although I think it's better than that and doesn't deserve to be dismissed outright like that. But it was exactly what I expected and I enjoyed it an awful lot. How did the rest of you find Hidden Figures by looking for well, them? Well, <laughs> sorry, I was the same as you, Thomas. Um, I, I, it was what I expected. It was actually what I expected to be. I think it was, um, for me, uh, uh, easy watch, fun watch, you know, good story, good revelatory story uh, about something that hasn't been talked about much. And I, I certainly didn't realise that there were... Um, African-American women mathematicians doing quite incredible things at NASA. Um, I don't think it was a fantastic piece of filmmaking, but um, it is certainly another great entry in the, you know, sort of the great American storybook, if you know what I mean. Um, So that's sort of the way I came at it. The the filmmaker I wasn't really aware of, it's pretty much his... um, Oh, well, it's not his debut. It's his second film. What was the first one? It was a comedy Sex called Vincent. St. Vincent. Yeah. yeah. With Bill Murray. A Bill Murray comedy that kind of went without much attention. I remember it being yeah. out and decided I wasn't going to bother seeing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's something I want to pick up. I just want to say now before I forget, it's actually shot by Mandy Walker, who's the Australian um, cinematographer, which was quite quite exciting for me to note. Um, we've got a lot of female directors now. Yay! Often there's a female director on the show every week, but uh, female cinematographers, cinematographers are still few and far between, and we she is an Australian girl. We yeah. have quite a lot of women cinematographers in Australia, something that Doing, is, yes. not, is not garbage. I think that's pretty awesome. It's pretty good. So, um, yeah, I just... It, there was nothing that... I, I found the roles in that they were played sort of... Uh, not necessarily subtly. There was lots of that kind of clutching of books to chest and scuttling along on high heels. It was quite um, theatrical, I thought, the the style of acting. Um, but it's perfectly fine, if you know what I mean. I... I yeah. call this a Caldwell special in that Thomas says, "Hey, maybe we should do this film," and we go, uh, "Sure, no worries, Thomas." And okay. then, it, and then it, <laughs> then it just knocks me for six. I like there that. You that, go. Is there that a cricket go. reference? Did it's I just? Caldwell is that special. The, yeah, it's it a Caldwell special. Yeah. I I was really blown away by this film. I I perhaps I didn't. I just thought it would be Oscar bait, which yeah. is my least favorite kind of film. Um, so when you guys say it's what you expected it to be, I expected it to be Oscar bait and I thought it was something far, far greater than that. This is my favourite superhero film. Yes, I like like the way you call it a superhero film. I was so excited by this film because it has all the trappings of something very, very ordinary and then does something very extraordinary. And I agree with you, it's not... It's not radical filmmaking, um, although I do think it does some really interesting things with its colour palette that I really enjoyed. The idea, this this phrase of coloured women all the way through it, um, the, the, the palette of colours in this film, and especially in the wardrobe, the, the white characters all wear kind of these greys and blacks and whites, but it's the African-American women who bring these beautiful pastel yeah. rainbow colours. They are coloured women and it's beautiful. It's And they, they light up the screen just in... And, you know, these really creative... 
That does you know, not work radical, very but well. quite lovely. Because the, the the NASA look is very much that short sleeved white um, shirt with the the black tie and the very neat cut hair. Kevin Costner actually epitomised the the NASA look and looked very much at home in this film. And I thought he was actually very good. He I'll was great. Kirsten Dunst was great. I thought. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I thought all the performances were great. But this, to me, is in in is the most recent film that uh, really brought home to me just the everyday nuts and bolt banality of evil, of segregation. There's this um, ongoing sequence where one of the characters is working in an office and she needs to run 40 minutes each way to have a pee. Mm. And this culminates when they realise that she's missing out of the office for for quite a long period and, and, and there's a sort of drama that explodes out of this and it's just the simplicity of being at work and needing to have a wee. Yeah. Um, it's such a simple thing um, and, and I, I love that. I love how the film takes these really amazing women, these three incredible women who have been celebrated in recent years in, in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, this film's a real... A real homage to them. I think it's a real celebration of these quite I, and Janelle Monae. I have to put that in there. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I'm just maybe I'm just biased. And Marshala Ali. He's not a woman, but he's uh, he's fantastic, and I look forward to seeing him in more films than just Hidden Figures and Moon Moonlight. Yeah, that's what he was in, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. I, this was a lovely film. I found it so warm um, and and quite. I, I actually almost caught myself pumping the air once or twice <laughs> once they started to have their victories. It's really meant to lift you and and for you to feel that there is some good in the world and that. Sure, this film's only set. 50 odd years ago but uh, entrenched chauvinism and racism can be conquered Um, these women have their various battles to fight in order to get the credit they're due and to be given the opportunity they're due but uh, this film tells us it's one of those sort of setting the, the record straight type narratives and it's so so heartwarming and and there's quite a bit of humor in there i i found a lot to 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 really latch on to but like you said Alex, too or maybe you it may be everyone i think it's just in a way, there were no surprises in this film either. There's certainly no radical filmmaking. If anything, this film dealt with the space race in a way which I found almost actually a bit flat because normally we're expected to find this whole business of putting people into space a matter of awe and and there was nothing terribly awe-inspiring about that side of the narrative. And in a way, maybe that's for the best because what we're supposed to be interested in is very much grounded and battles had on the earth and especially in the US of A. Yeah. I, I got the excitement for the space race stuff at the very end. I actually wrote down space <laughs> race narratives always stirring but this has the added power of civil rights and so <laughs> it, it, it is a crowd pleasing film yeah. and it ticks all those boxes. I, I, I read one very snickle uh, criticism of it and you, or, you often hear this about films set in the past which is it's about a form of racism that is in the past and doesn't manifest in this way in the contemporary world and it's for white middle class audiences to go and see and feel better about themselves because we're not like that now um and that's a very easy criticism i think to throw around and it's sort of part of a kind of smug self-righteous mentality that's seeped into a lot of uh contemporary film theory and criticism i think the value of this film is to show us that this shit was not that long ago and i think also that 
and, and these these were things that had to be fought and overcome and, and, and we did and our society is better for it. If you can make a film in 2016, 2017 that's basic message is Black Lives Matter, which is what this film is about, yeah. and say that that is a thing of the past, then at best you are disingenuous. <laughs> yeah, and, and all, the cri- all the criticisms of Hollywood not having narratives yeah. of people of colour in them and being absent from, you know, there were, there were so few people of colour stories last year that they weren't represented at the Oscars. To have a big mainstream crowd-pleasing film like this that is so much about African-American women punching way above their weight, that is a good thing. And yeah. to hell with anybody who wants to be cynical like about it. important and now. It is, just yeah. a, it is just a great story. I know there were some tiny creative liberties taken, but um, just things like I think uh, I think John Glenn did ask her to, uh, to check on his flight trajectories or do the maths and double-check the IBM international business yeah. machine. I love but old computers. Yeah, yeah, so do I. It reminds me of our desk set with yeah. um, Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, this when they come, they wheel in the big computer. Had to bash down the wall yeah, to get the computer and bring in. it in and it's not working. Um, but uh, I, she did do that, but apparently she had a few days to work out her maths, not a few minutes. But, you know, who cares? It's just like, you know, it's it's... It's still the same story. John Glenn was too good to be true altogether, actually. But, oh, but he know. was too good to was be he? true. Oh, he's the right stuff. Oh. What are you talking about? I actually like what they did with the Kevin Costner character, how he wasn't necessarily a sort of pro-civil rights guy, but he, no. he, yeah. he was a maths guy, he was a logic guy, and he saw that segregation and discrimination just made no logical sense. Hey, he was a pragmatist. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He yep. has a good superhero moment in this film, mm. I think. Oh, he with does. A, with, a, with a hammer, with an axe, with mm. something like yes. that. That's a good superhero action yeah. scene. You've been listening to Plato's Cave. I think that's us done for another week. Tony Erdman is on limited release through Madman Entertainment. Silence is on general release through Transmission Films. And Hidden Figures is on wide release through 20th Century Fox. Uh, we'll be back sans Emma next week. We're going to be talking about Camera Person, T2 Train Spotting, and Aquarius. You've been listening to Thomas Cordwell, Cerise Howard, Alexandra Hello Nicholas, and Emma Westwood on Plato's Cave. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.